0: Hi, I'm Dave Miranda, general counsel and past president of the New York State Bar Association. Welcome to Miranda Warnings. You have the right to remain listening. This week on Miranda Warnings, we're very pleased to have Dick Lewis, the 126th president of the New York State Bar Association. Welcome, Dick.
1: Thanks very much, David.
0: It's a great honor to have you on Miranda Warnings, Mr. President.
1: Well, it's an honor to be here. I've I've watched so
0: many episodes, and now I get to actually be here. Well, it's great to have you. Dick uh, comes from private practice. He's special counsel to the law firm of Hinman, Howard, and Cattell in Binghamton. Dick, tell us a little bit about the law practice that you have.
1: Well, David, I'm pretty much a general practitioner. I do a lot of litigation, a lot of business law. Uh, I certainly have done my share of matrimonial law and uh, certainly a lot of municipal law. So I've been involved in a wide variety of legal disciplines and uh, it's made for an interesting life.
0: Well, you've indicated that you want to have your term focus on lawyers and the practice of law. Uh, tell us a little bit about the, the, the importance of focusing on that kind of broad topic sure. for the Bar Association.
1: Sure. Um, the, the Bar Association has been involved in so many different uh, issues, and they should be involved in a lot of issues. And some of these issues are perceived to be social or political, but there are certainly legal aspects to them. But that having been said, a lot of practitioners, a lot of our members, feel that we need to put a greater focus on the practice of law and how our practitioners are being impacted by new rules, new laws, uh, et cetera. And as a result, and I tend to agree with them, and as a result, I would like to see us investigate the different things that are affecting lawyers on a day-to-day basis. How can we make the practice of law Uh, a little less cumbersome, how can we save time, how can we get rid of some of the uh, duplication that our various rules have uh, with the CPLR and each other. And by doing that, I would hope that we would be able to cut down on a lot of extra work making costs less and hopefully uh, providing greater access to justice for our clients.
0: And to further that goal, you've formed a, a task force on uh, law practice and uh, rules, and you're going to focus in that regard on the various issues that affect lawyers' day-to-day practice. Uh, what are some of the things you're hoping to see come out of that group?
1: Well, w- what I'm, I'm really hoping for is participation. Um, a year or so ago, Uh, we formed a group uh, that had to do with the uniform court rules. Uh, When those rules uh, came about on very short notice, and and we felt, and many lawyers felt, that they impacted the way trial lawyers would practice law, and and it it became an encumbrance to them. Most recently, we have new rules that were, again, uh, placed on lawyers and, and others, Uh, with regard to the notary public rules and again uh especially estate lawyers and, and real estate lawyers and so on have been greatly impacted by the extra record keeping the extra work which may not sound like a big deal but it is and so what we would like to do is to continue to further that kind of work but more importantly we'd like to have input and we are uh in the process of trying to get input from our membership and beyond uh, about different issues that they have to confront every day which makes it more and more difficult to, to deliver legal services to their clients. The concern is is that the more time that lawyers have to take the fewer people that they can represent effectively and what that does is it creates an enlarged have-not portion of our citizenry with regard to access to the justice system.
0: Dick, I know that uh, civics and civics education is important to you, and I know you're gonna make that a cornerstone of of your year as president, and I know you're planning a big uh, civics convocation during your term. Tell us a little bit about that and what we can expect.
1: Well, first of all, we have some fabulous people that are working on that, led by our chair, Gail Ehrlich, And what we plan to do is to investigate uh, the dearth of civics education in our country today. We expect to put on a convocation in May. Uh, We expect to have present uh, people from the uh, area of education, students, lawyers, and judges. And our hope is, is that we can explore how we can get back to some civility and how we can get back to um, a a place where people actually know about our government. Uh, Less than half the adults questioned in a recent survey could name the three branches of government. And a, a significant, I don't remember the exact percentage, a significant number could not name even one branch. And I think that that's tragic in our country that we don't understand the makeup and the, and the processes by which the greatest form of government in the history of the world operates.
0: And of course the New York State Bar Association, one of its goals is to educate and inform the public in a in a nonpartisan way and certainly civics education is one way that, uh, that we can do that.
1: Absolutely. I, I think that uh, the enthusiasm of the people I've talked to with regard to this um has been extraordinary and i think it's pretty widespread amongst our membership that this is something that is crucial and and it's been even said that in or- if we don't do this we're not going to save democracy
0: you know you've talked about how the bar association can help lawyers and i know that's going to be a big part uh, of your year but you're also going to be working on some issues that are more outwardly focused that I'd like to talk a little bit about. Uh, one issue that you're going to make a cornerstone of your year is the issue of homelessness. Uh, right. Tell us a little bit about the task force you're forming and, and what you hope to, to accomplish with that.
1: Well, our, our task force on homelessness, which is going to be chaired by Bill Russell, or which is chaired by Bill Russell, uh, is, is candidly going to look at the way uh, Homeless people have been uh, treated in the legal system and beyond. Um, it's, it's tragic, and I keep calling the United States the greatest country in the history of the world, and it is, but it's tragic when you go to New York City and you see so many people on the, on the, on the stoops, uh, obviously and clearly, uh, w- without a place to go. Uh, maybe there even is a place to go, a shelter, but they're afraid to go there. Uh, there's causes uh, of this homelessness, and, and it, surely it's drugs, and surely it's domestic violence, and surely it's uh, PTSD, and, and so on. And I think that we have to confront it. When you go to the capital of the United States, when you go to Washington, D.C., and you see a dearth of green area, that has now been overtaken by tent communities, it's, it's not acceptable. And I think it's an area that we have to look at very closely and see if we can contribute to ending this plight.
0: So you're going to put together a task force of, of uh, people with expertise in a variety of areas and try to help find solutions for the homelessness issue.
1: Absolutely, we have
0: uh, a lot of
1: people, both rural and urban in our association who are familiar with the problem and have worked on the problem. Uh, People in large law firms and small law firms who have the same concerns that I've just expressed. And I think that by uh, them putting their heads together, maybe we can come up with some Hopefully, we can come up with some uh, partial uh, solution to some of these issues.
0: There's another I- issue that's important to you that the Bar Association is going to take a look at, and uh, it's the issue of, of, of hate crimes. And Now, we've had a task force that look at hate crimes uh, in the past, and you're going to focus... Uh, your task force on anti-Asian and anti-Semitic hate hate crimes. Uh, Tell us a little bit about why you think that is uh, a significant issue that we should address.
1: Well, first of all, hate crimes certainly are not um, limited to anti-Asian and anti-Semitic hate crimes. And we've just had, uh, through our Bar Association, an outstanding report on racism which has looked at a lot of the uh, issues that have confronted um, people of color. Uh, But one of the areas, or I should say two of the areas that I think have been ignored uh, are the issues of hate crimes against Jews and Asians. And all you have to do is pick up the paper and it seems like daily there's another instance of uh, someone being pushed off a, a a subway platform or someone being attacked uh, as they walk down a public street in broad daylight. And these, these are citizens of our country who are contributors to our country and they need to be recognized and the, the hatred that seems to prevail uh, in, not only in New York City but throughout the country and possibly the world. I recently saw an article about an incident in uh, the Netherlands where 150 people were arrested for uh, anti-Semitic activities. So this is something that we have to look at. How many more generations of this can go on? How many more generations of people are going to look at Asian people and say these people do not deserve our respect or Jewish people and say these people need to be attacked and I, I think that we have to finally take a look at our culture our our uh, education uh, our our history books people uh, kids today who are again to go back to civics uh, not getting uh, a solid foundation don't even know what the holocaust is and so uh, i think it's very necessary that we take a hard look at this and we see if we can contribute to maybe the beginning of an end to that kind of
0: hate. And certainly, uh, an important issue, uh, one that, uh, just discussing the issue, certainly raising awareness of it, I think can be helpful, but what kind of, uh, recommendations do you think, uh, the bar association can, can sure. do to help in this area?
1: Well, First of all, hate crimes, uh, there are laws against hate. And they are not enforced. And there are reasons why they are not enforced. For example, the burden may be too high, and it may be inconvenient to to, uh, uh, use the hate crime elements. Um, We have to look at those burdens. We have to look at how we can better enforce them so that people can be protected. Uh, another area that is, that is also, uh, I think, prevalent and, and is that the people being attacked are parts of communities that don't really want to draw attention to themselves. And frequently they don't report these uh, crimes. And I, I, I would make it analogous to rape. Uh, a, a rape victim frequently doesn't, wanna, doesn't want to uh, report the, the violence against her. And I think it's the same type of thing. And we have to dispel that kind of fear and that kind of embarrassment uh, and that sticking out uh, in in public that that sometimes inhibits the ability to move forward.
0: Another task force that uh, you formed is called Medical Aid in Dying. Right. Which is an issue that is becoming more and more prevalent in the uh, country and around the world. And uh, you formed this task force to look at the issues related to uh, individuals dying with some dignity. Uh, what, uh, what do you expect to, to, to get from, from this task force?
1: Well, really what I'd like to see happen is uh, we're putting together uh, this task force and hopefully drawing from all philosophies in connection with it. We'd certainly like to get people who are religiously opposed to it and other people who are very much favorable to to having uh, dignity with death um, with the hopes that we can discuss the pluses and the minuses and maybe not come to a total conclusion or an endorsement by the bar but at least to point out the arguments, to have a, uh, a discussion, an argument, a debate, if you will, that is two-sided, where each side can listen to the other and perhaps learn from the other. It's always good to listen to your adversary. They're usually your best mentors.
0: Right. And in, in this particular instance, obviously, it's a, it's a difficult one to grapple with. Sometimes people don't always want to uh, talk about it uh, until maybe perhaps it's too late. Right. Uh, and oftentimes our association uh, can, by talking about these issues and having experts like you're going to have from various fields, we can find common ground, at least some things uh, that we can we can agree on and help move the ball forward.
1: Well, absolutely, and, and not only find common ground, but find understanding. Uh, I think the important thing is for both sides to understand where the other side comes from and to respect where they're coming from. And my hope would be that we would come up with an understanding, a consensus as to where our, our society stands on the subject.
0: And so I want to talk about another issue that I know is important to you, or you don't have a task force, but it's something that covers uh, the entire legal profession, and uh, that's non-lawyer ownership of law firms. There is, we hear around the country, this push to have uh, non-lawyers involved in the ownership of law firm currently in New York and in most of the country in order to practice law in order to own a law firm, you must be a lawyer. Lawyers are regulated by a professional code of ethics that other professions are not. Um, and But now we're hearing that other businesses want to get into the business uh, of the law. Tell us a little bit of your thoughts on, on non-lawyer ownership of law firms.
1: Well, first of all, I'm absolutely against non-lawyer ownership of law firms. And I think that I'm part of a huge majority of lawyers uh, and probably a huge majority of everyone uh, throughout the country. The New York State Bar Association has repeatedly rejected uh, the the concept of non-lawyer ownership since I think 1999. Um, we have on at least three or four occasions revisited that. Most recently in uh, October of 2022 when we again affirmed our position. Uh, The American Bar Association has also since 1990 and repeatedly thereafter, and as recently as 2022, uh, reaffirmed its opposition. And the reason for the opposition is, is frankly that lawyers are held to a certain standard. We have ethical obligations and those obligations are enforced. If we violate those ethical standards, we can be disciplined up to and including losing our licenses. Um, That's not true if you're an entrepreneur. Uh, Reality is is that I'm very much in favor of entrepreneurs. I I watch Shark Tank, for God's sakes. But that having been said, we find ourselves in a situation where um, hedge funds, large accounting firms, uh, companies that finance litigation and, and others would like to create a new income stream. And while they say, oh, we're not really uh, practicing law, if you, if you look underneath it all, they are practicing law. They're giving legal advice. Uh, do, you, do you want to go to a firm and they say, well, we have a uh, document examination specialist and talk to somebody of unknown experience in education? Or do you want to go where... Uh, you can have some confidence that an attorney has a background and has experience with regard to looking at the type of document that's being examined. So I, I think that the public would be cheated, and the public depends upon the legal system, and the legal system includes lawyers. We're officers of the court. People who are not lawyers... Uh, are not held to the same standards people who are not lawyers, and i'm not denigrating them i'm as i said i'm all for uh entrepreneurship but i guess we have to to some extent uh recognize that there has to be independence and lawyers need to have the ability to be independent from the entrepreneur so that they can properly advise their client the concerns of the uh the Loss of the client, the attorney-client relationship, is real. And who do you answer to? Do you do you have? Uh, do you sacrifice uh, professional responsibility for profit? Um, I like to think that in our profession. That's not what happens.
0: Right. And of course, lawyers have a professional responsibility to be a vigorous advocate for their client in that that particular case that they're representing them. That's correct. And it must be single focused and cannot be subject to pressures from outside forces that may feel as though, well, this particular case might not be uh, a moneymaker. Um, and so maybe we need, to, we need to let it go.
1: Absolutely, and, and, and actually, if you had lo- uh, non-lawyer ownership, it would be pressure not from outside forces, but forces within your firm. And, and you also make the comment, which I think is a good one, that we have to vigorously advocate for our clients, uh, and we have other obligations, such as pro bono uh, work for people who are underserved. A for-profit firm run by entrepreneurs is highly unlikely to be vigorously involved in pro bono uh, representation. It doesn't make money. And based on that, uh, I would anticipate that as has been in the past, there will not be any kind of improvement in representing the indigent or the underserved.
0: Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because I I think we can all agree that there's an access to justice gap in the state, in our country. You've written about it, uh, that uh, there are underserved. And there's some who say that by opening up uh, law firms to non-lawyer ownership to have an influx, uh, perhaps, of of, uh, financial capital from outside the legal profession, that uh, the access to justice gap uh, perhaps could be closed and that we can better represent uh, the, the poor and underserved. What, what, what's your response to that?
1: Well, uh, first of all, I think, I think the people who are saying that are just completely mistaken. Uh, we do have an access to justice gap, but the way to solve the access to justice gap is to work with our legal system, to better fund the courts, to better fund our legal services organizations. For goodness sakes, to, to take care of the attorneys who up until recently have been paid $75 an hour for decades to, to represent the underserved and the indigent. Lawyers can't work for $75 an hour uh, at, and, and make a living. They're losing money when they do that. And so uh, to, to bring in um, a, a, an entrepreneur or a non-lawyer and, and suggest that you're going to solve the justice gap is just not valid. And it has proven to be not valid in Arizona and Utah and other jurisdictions abroad that have accepted the non-lawyer ownership uh, of law firms.
0: And of course, the New York State Bar Association, you've been involved in this, has worked very hard. Uh, to try to address the justice gap. Uh, The New York State Bar Association took the lead on trying to raise the rates for assigned counsel. That's what you were referring to when you said $75 an hour. Now it's uh, just recently been raised to $158. Thanks in large part to the New York State Bar Association and leaders such as uh, you, Dick, who focused on this. As, As you know, Um, Last year, there was a lawsuit brought by the New York County lawyers and some other bar associations to raise the rate in New York City. Um, Last year, the New York State Bar Association uh, brought a similar lawsuit uh, throughout the state and and just this year, uh, the New York State Legislature and the governor finally uh, agreed to raise those rates to, to be closer, at least, to what the federal Uh, rate
1: is and and we hope that by their raising those rates that we are uh, going to be closer to uh, filling filling the void for lawyers I've spoken to uh, numerous upstate bar associations rural bar associations and in one county I was told that their list of uh, uh, lawyers on a panel to serve indigent uh, clients was made up of one lawyer. Um, it, it's tragic, and the reason is they can't they can't make a living. Um, the County Bar Association, New York County Bar Association, did a, a great service to their membership, and I think the New York State Bar Association, in both our lobbying efforts with the legislature and the governor, and the lawsuit, which is continuing for at least in part, um, has been a great a great service to our membership and to society in general
0: well dick these are all these are all very important and serious topics and i'm uh so pleased that you shared your thoughts with us here on miranda warnings about some of those and give us a little preview of your year ahead but i want to talk a little bit about you dick lewis the man uh i know that uh hockey is a big part of your life and so i i want to know two things one why is that and number two Why are you still playing hockey? (laughs)
1: That's what my wife asked me. Um, The truth is, uh, hockey's fun. It's a lot of fun to play. And, uh, you know, it's hard to to give things up that you really enjoy doing. Uh, The camaraderie is great. The uh, exercise is great. The competition is great. As you get older, uh, the ability to... Uh, be in competitive situations uh, diminishes. Uh, certainly my abilities have diminished, and uh, but it's still fun. And as long as these
0: younger guys let me play, I guess I'll keep going. Good for you. Now, Dick, so we're at the beginning of your term. Um, if we were to talk at the end of your term, what would you want people to say about Dick Lewis and his year as president?
1: Um that's a great question. When when people congratulate me on taking this post, I often say, let's hold that off until the end and, and see where we end up. I think, first of all, that we've talked about the task forces, and I'd, I'd like to see if those various task forces can shed light on the the issues that they are confronting. But what I'd really like to see happen is I'd like to start a trend. And I'd like that trend to be something a, a, a a mindset that establishes uh, concern for the legal profession and the people who are in the legal profession. I'd like to see us uh, get rid of um, contradictory and duplications that are found in the various rules. You know, if you come to New York State, you think that you're going to deal with the uh, civil rules of the, the the civil rules of procedure, and the reality is is that you do but you also have to deal with the, the uniform court rules the various uh, departmental rules and of course the rules of each judge and they may not necessarily be in sync we'd like to get that together we'd like to see that lawyers have the ability to practice law without having to backtrack and and Uh, essentially duplicate their efforts over and over making it more and more difficult for them to serve their clients. That's what I'd like to see happen and I
0: hope that it will happen this year and following years. I'm hoping it's something that will continue. Well very good. Dick Lewis, the 126th president of the New York State Bar Association, thank you so much for being with us here on Miranda Warnings.
1: Thanks David and now I want to know if I get a hat.
0: You'll get a hat. (laughs) (laughs) This has been Miranda Warnings, a New York State Bar Association podcast. You have the right to subscribe, rate, and review.